Welcome to the Evolution Exchange Australia podcast. We're bringing together the best technical leaders from across the Melbourne region to discuss industry passions, challenges and ideas. My name's Abby Green and I connect businesses with talented contractors in the software engineering market. Welcome back to the Evolution Exchange Australia. Today I'm joined by Josh, the Group Manager of Software Engineering at Cassentrix Casplist. Ashin, the Senior Delivery Manager at Tel, and Nick, Director of Alderman Hayden. And today we're here to discuss building a culture of innovation within your development team. And before we delve a bit deeper into the topic, I'd just like to work our way around the room with some introductions. So Josh, would you like to kick us off? That'd be wonderful, thank you. Uh, I'm Josh, I'm the Group Manager of Software Engineering at Concentrix Catalyst. Uh, Catalyst are one of the largest customer experience country companies in the world. We specialise in creating digital touch points that businesses and government agencies need to succeed. Uh, I support the engineering team of the Omnichannel Vertical uh, that conduct all our app and platform engagements. I'm quite passionate about getting the right agile processes into the engineering team to make sure that they can succeed. Thank you so much, Josh. Uh, Shane, would you like to kick us off? Yep. Um, hello, everyone. Um, my name is Afshin, uh, Afshin Aski, and I'm currently working as a dev manager in enterprise data team in TAL. Uh, TAL is the largest life insurance company in Australia with uh, more than 35% of the market in life insurance industry, and it's 100% owned by Daichi Life, a Japanese beautiful company which is the oldest life insurance in the world. Thank you so much. And last but not least, Nick. Hi, everyone. Uh, my name is Nick Hayden. I'm an engineering manager working across e-commerce and the creator economy. I currently lead Alderman Hayden, which is a boutique technology and e-commerce consulting firm headquartered in Melbourne. And in my spare time, I run the Codicides YouTube channel where I discuss engineering management and software engineering. You can find me online at linktree slash Nick Hayden. Thanks so much, Nick. Um, and first of all, I just want to thank you all for your contributions to the Evolution Exchange. Um, really keen to jump into the topic of discussion today, which is around building a culture of innovation within your development team. So I'll kick off with the first question. So what does innovation look like within your development team? And Nick, I'll pass this over to you first. Sure. Um, I was actually sitting at a cafe this morning and the song Don't Stop Thinking About Tomorrow came on. And I was like, how perfect for this. Um, and then for me, like the team has to be thinking about like where you are today and what needs to happen for the future. So two main points for that being one, you need an environment where people can share new ideas or techniques they've learned. And then the second point, which I think is really important, is that psychological safety and being able to uh, share ideas, share learnings and not feel like you're sort of putting your head out of the, the parapet and you're about to get hit with something. Um, and I think as well, like flipping that question, like, what does not having a culture of innovation look like? So uh, for me, that's a team that's afraid to make changes to an existing system, which we've probably all seen. Um, and then people don't want to share new learnings. They don't want to share new techniques. And then leadership, they don't really have buy-in from it. Uh, perhaps it's like really sales driven and you don't want to, uh, you don't want to change what you've got because the, the process is working. Um, and just like with so many startups innovating and the ease of starting a business, it's just incredibly important to keep innovating. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, absolutely. Thanks so much for that, Nick. Uh, Ashley, what's your take? What does innovation look like within your development team? Oh, well, I think a little bit funny. Um, I think that the innovation 
Cause because the peoples are lazy. <laughs> so now instead of doing and repeating the things, they look into the technology, how the technology can help them to deliver fast and also quicker and, <clears throat> and more robust. So less work and less activity. So what we do, um, normally we ask the team to other think, think tank. Um, Tal itself has a culture um, every quarter asking the peoples to put their ideas, deliver some creativity, look into that, how um, the idea can help business and help the society. And then uh, in that pool, peoples, other peoples also look into that. Ah, I like that. I can help it. And then they team up together and um, there would be two to three days um, time and everybody can work on those um, objects and those ideas. So what I do normally, I encourage my team to look into that pool, think about that and add their own initiatives I'll also give them some of uh, what I'm thinking that can help the business or can help the technology. And also we go as a team together. This is how we do Perfect, perfect. Thank you so much, Ashton. I really appreciate that. Um, and Josh, what's your take on innovation and what does that look like with your development team? Yeah, it's an excellent question. And I think that people misappropriate the word innovation to use it to build whatever's new and interesting in, in the market as a whole. And the lens that I put on innovation in our teams is to say, well, it's more just incrementing the system from where it is today into where it needs to be tomorrow. And from that lens, the team can build many interesting things. It doesn't have to be cutting edge technology. It could just be the adoption of the next version of the technology that you're using. That's still in, in many ways interesting and a challenge and something that, that the system as a whole will gain benefit from. And you're consistently driving that system forward. You're improving it. And that for me is where innovation needs to lie, is in that sensible direction of moving it forward without necessarily taking on uh, unnecessary risk by changing into something that's not well tested in the, the industry yet or particularly unknown in your own system. Yeah, I know, fantastic. And like you say, innovation can be defined in many ways within different businesses. Um, no, I thank you so much for all those points there. Um, and then just leading back from Ashton's point as well around um, the purpose of, of, of having a culture of innovation and how do you kind of make sure you're innovating in the right direction. Um, so, Josh, the next question is surrounding that, I suppose. So, what what's the purpose of having a culture of innovation and how do we ensure you are pushing in the right direction? Yeah, so each system is a living thing, right? It, it's something that needs to grow and adapt, not only with the ecosystem, but with the business's needs because the business will grow and your system needs to grow to meet those needs. Uh, it's not to build what's interesting. It's to ensure that the system is constantly moving forward, as I said, to meet all these aspirations that people in the business outside of the engineering are trying to achieve. It's not about building what you need for today or what you find that's interesting. It's about ensuring that when tomorrow comes, 
your plans aren't stifled by system constraints. So you're laying those tracks in front of the, the system to make sure you're constantly succeeding. Yeah, perfect. Thank you so much. And Ashin, what's your take on having a purpose of culture of innovation? So the, the purpose of the culture of innovation is that, for me, is that personally, is not only um, changing the technology, as Josh said, but also how it can help the society, how it can help the, um, uh, the people. Um, why I say the people? Because we are working in a life insurance company. In a life insurance, that's this definitely when everything is fine, nobody even think about the life insurance. But if something goes fishy, then the people needs help. Family needs help. And that's the time that it comes the necessary and the necessity of how we can help the people. So that is the important part. The society comes. So yesterday, on Friday, I was telling to one of my team members that the insurance company get a benefit when the people live longer, when the people live safe, when there is no accident, when everybody are happy and having a good life. And that's an important thing. So the innovation can help the people and can help the society by delivering it fa uh, faster, by reducing the cost, by changing and enhancing and improving quicker and better, by making sure that um, at any point of time, all the information and all the requirement is on the fingertip of the case officer or the people who needs that. If we think that way, there would be an innovation over the innovation. Yeah, perfect. Like you say, it's a long-term plan as well um, and ensuring they know exactly what the project is going to deliver to those that are receiving it at the other end. Fantastic. Thank you so much. And Nick, what's your take on having a purpose of a culture of innovation? Um, I think it was funny that Ashton mentioned uh, innovations caused by lazy people because I think like on that <laughs> same trend, it's like it's like exercise. When you're I'm like that's easy to keep up. The company was innovative at one point. That's sort of how it started. Um, and maintaining that is is much easier than letting yourself fall off and then needing to start that innovation process again when maybe you've got really strong competitors coming into the market with amazing new tools and now you're going, oh my gosh, I've not, I need to catch up. Um, so continuously uh, keeping that culture of innovation across not just your technology but also your, your project process, everything else, that's what can help you uh, stay competitive in the market for a much longer time. Uh, something um and sorry so, nick bear with me yes. your connection just dropped slightly there ah, no. start again that's all right i've taken note i can edit it out <laughs> where did you get up to or just the whole thing uh just from your second point yep so um i guess that that technology of um or the the culture of innovation can be far more about uncovering the unknowns like we know things are going to be changing in technology we don't know what um but having that environment where it's like, hey, I saw this new thing online, like let's investigate it, let's see what's going on, let's start trying. Um, that's how you can start to make those incremental changes that'll make a big impact. And you'll look back, you know, how do we get here from where we were 10 years ago and it will be a major change. Um, and the alternative is letting your tech get old and suffering later when you're trying to deal with <laughs> some archaic version of something that's not supported and like there's one guy that knows how it works uh, and it's just much easier to keep that going from the beginning 
Yeah, perfect. Thank you all for your insight there. Um, and that leads really well onto our next question, which is around uh, a team's innovation strategy to, main, to remain aligned with the business goals, um, especially when you're changing an economic environment where costs are being caught and revenues being sought after more. So, Ashin, how do you kind of ensure that the team's strategy remains aligned with the business? Um. Well, based on what I said at uh, the beginning, what the uh, the innovation and innovation culture. So it's it's either we need to see that is it directly or indirectly, we are helping. Um, I mean, do if we have any any ideas to improve our day to day task, and if we are um, and and if if so, so how we can help the business to improve the quality of the product for our clients. So I believe that um, um, by advertising the idea. Uh, into the um, and, and execute those ideas uh, with these small showcases to the, to the business for from the smaller group of the uh, business and the, to the larger audience and then uh, I guess that the key factor is the communication here and and to show and, and assure that um, we are in the right and, and correct direction and the right and correct uh, track so that's when we show uh, and advertise um, by the by the audiences, especially if they are they're from the business. We understand uh, if that's idea, it really works well, or um, there might be a tweak. So we can adjust those things by implementing that these kind of practices. Um, I mean, you you can help and ensure your team are you know um, with the in correct innovation strategy and making sure that the strategy remains aligned with the business goals um even if, as you said and everybody knows in this changing economic environment where the cost cutting and revenue generation um you know take the precedence so um that's that's the important things um do the communication align with the with the, with the technology and the changes in the economy and the business um um, make sure that um, business teams understand uh, what you want to do and make sure you understand what business needs, where at the end we can serve our client. Thank you so much, Ashin. And Josh, what's your take um, on a team's innovation strategy to remain aligned with the business? Yeah, I, I agreed with the what I actually had to say where it's about understanding what the business's goals are because for the team to succeed, they need to be able to be building the system that the business needs. And when you've got that clarity over what you're trying to achieve, it can provide a very clear scope of deliverable that you can work towards in your innovation. What sort of system do you need it to be? And it will limit the the potential issues of having directionless innovation. We've all seen projects where people will just go and build something on a whim because they feel that it's necessary or they'll build things outside of what is necessary purely because they sort of feel that it's a viable introduction to the system. But when we understand what we're trying to achieve holistically, it can limit how far we would go uh, with our construction and by definition we'll keep it cheaper and more focused and closer aligned to making sure that we're making positive improvements it's about understanding what your metrics for success are how would you measure it what's the purpose of it and every change that you do 
do you know that you've actually moved in the direction you want to? And is it doing the changes that the business need it to, to get to those goals that they're trying to achieve? Well, thank you so much, Josh. Um, and Nick, is there anything you'd like to add? Yeah, um, and echoing, echoing what everyone else has said, uh, keeping that customer in mind, whether it is a, a business user within the organization or a customer on the street. Um, keep them in mind since like ultimately they're the ones paying and if the business has boatloads of money everything else becomes way easier uh, <laughs> so keep that in mind and then like align that innovation strategy with where the business is going like if revenue is really important or maybe reducing costs is really important maybe there's some like innovative work you can do around cloud infrastructure and maybe changing some systems or reducing uh, your cost there uh, and then make sure the team is across it like you don't want to have uh, you know, maybe you've got a really good understanding of where the business priorities are and everything. And then your team is coming to you saying, oh, I want to do this. I want to do that. And if you haven't told them what the, the changing priorities are, how, how are they meant to know? Then um, get them across it, make them understand the importance of it. Everyone's pretty smart. So uh, particularly in our industry. So uh, give them that knowledge and then they can help make the decisions themselves as well. Yeah, no, of course, some really good points made there as well around innovation within different teams can look in look many different ways so i should say um may not necessarily mean new tech all the time it may not mean um process improvement but really just pushing forward to the end user um great stuff so again this this goes back to um nick's first point around and um, what prevents a team from creating a culture of innovation like what kind of challenges do you face so i'll i'll pose this question to nick so what prevents a team from creating a culture of innovation or what habits and processes need to be established to enable it? So I think preventing a culture of innovation, I think if you put, like if you just got some software engineers and you lock them in a room, they're just going to keep creating ideas forever. Um, and what stops that innovation is really like leadership in the business itself. So if you've got someone that is really like bullish on technology, they really want to do like an AI or a crypto thing, uh, you'll start innovating in those directions, rightly or wrongly. Um, and so having that that leadership that cares about the product, um, and particularly in our case, the tech behind it, is what can um, make or break your uh, your strategy. For uh, habits, I think there's two two main ones. The first is accept or not accepting bad or good enough solutions. Um, you may build something that maybe gets you there today, uh, but really having a, a habit within the team to interrogate. Have we actually gone as far as we could with this? What would it look like if we improve this further? Um, and doing that math then on, is this something worthwhile that the business needs? Um, and then the, the flip side of that is knowing when to call it. So it's so easy for these projects to blow up from, oh, we want to change our CDN through to some major change where you're like refactoring the entire application, you're rebuilding the whole thing. So know when to call it, whether you're, uh, you're going too far with your innovation or maybe a project you've done hasn't delivered the outcomes it needs. Um, and you just need to like take stock of your projects and know where to put your effort. Uh, and sometimes that means a, a project will get binned or canceled if it hasn't, the benefits haven't materialized. And that's okay in a culture of innovation. We're, we're going to make mistakes. We're not going to get it right every time. Perfect. Thank you so much, Nick. Um, Afshin, what's your take around um, culture and habits and process? Um, yep. Yeah, I mean, there are certain certain steps, as uh, Nick also said, that's like fear, uh, fear of failure, lack of communication and collaboration, strict hierarchy and lack of empowerment. 
at abscess of time and resources. But I wanted to add one thing, especially these days is very common. And that is the multimedia. Chat GBT, for example, that nowadays the chat GBT has come in and everybody, all these businesses and organizations, they wanted to have something like chat GBT that answer all the client's questions. And this is already limiting a people's and the developers and the industry and engineers mindset only to look into chat GBT or something like that. So channelizing, channelizing the people instead of working on something else that might be better or not even equal to the chat GPT in some other way works better and be a real innovation. But because of the multimedia and a lot of advertisements from everywhere coming, then everybody naturally thinks that if I can deliver something, innovate something similar to chat GPT, that would be an awesome. So we, those are the, the limits. And I guess that um, we need, if we wanted to be a, a, a leader, we need to define those things for our team. It says that chat GPT is not end of the world. There are other way to enjoy. Eight billion people in this world, none mm. of them are similar. Yeah, no, you're very correct there. Thanks so much, Hafsid. And Josh, what's your kind of take on that? Yeah, for, for me, uh, when innovation isn't happening on a, on a project, it, it's very much a canary in the coal mine for me. It, it's a red flag that shows me that there aren't processes occurring that enable it. Uh, when you have the right environment, then it will happen organically because that's part of the process is innovation. Uh, you, you create the space for the team to understand what they're building and how innovation can be folded into the outcome. A, a common occurrence in these sorts of scenarios is by prioritizing code contributions uh, because that will inhibit the ability for the team to innovate. Uh, they've got no time to plan or understand what the risk is. Uh, you've got significant issues around getting multiple resources to get around a table and actually discuss what they're trying to achieve. So it, it happens very opportunistically when you're when you're enabling your team to actually discuss what they should be doing. And importantly, it places a constraint on how you can be innovative, as in only certain people in the team would be enabled to do that. And they're typically your superstars because they're the people that can incur the risk of doing something a little bit outside of the norm. What happens is you build a two-class system in your engineering team. You've got these people that are doing the cutting edge, interesting stuff. And then everything else that's left over typically slides down to your middle and junior engineers. So you are in multi-faceted way building quite a poor process and a poor structure and a poor environment into your engineering team. And this is something that when you manage it carefully and get ahead of it, not only do you build better outcomes, but you get far more involvement from a wider span of your team. Perfect, perfect. Thank you so much, Josh. Nick, is there anything that you'd like to add? No, I love Oh, we've lost him again. Yeah, unfortunately. Are we bear with me? And we're not here. No, you're back. Go on. I'm back. <laughs> uh, no, no, no additional points. I know we've got another question coming up around... Uh, keeping teams collaborative. So 
saves so uh, my mirroring of Josh's points in. <laughs> yeah, no, of course. Of course. Perfect, perfect. Thank you all so much for your points, um, which leads on very well to our next question, um, which is more around how do you ensure your team's collaborative and working towards being inno innovative? Um, so, Josh, I'll, I'll pose this question to yourself. I know you've uh, just reflected quite well there, but how do you ensure your team's collaborative and working towards that goal? Uh, the one thing that I articulate to my teams is that innovation is a process and it's not a project. It, it's part of your work, but should never be all of your work, as in your program of work should never stop to enable innovation. You shouldn't stop all your feature development or your bug bug uh, addressment to say, well, now we're just going to upgrade the system because we need to. For me, that shows that you're not working towards being innovative, you're being reactive towards being innovative. And typically that will only occur when the constraints on the system get so severe that you've got no other choice. And that's most of the time a lose-lose situation. The business doesn't really enjoy that you're forcing them to do this sort of work. You're strong-arming them in, in a lot of ways to make them to do it. And from an engineering standpoint, you're not given the space you need to do it effectively because you're in a very confined time frame to deliver this this work. So you just have to slap something down to, to get it to where it needs to be so that you can continue that feature work. So by building the right processes to make sure that you're staying ahead of the curve and not leaving it to the last minute, you will always be building a very effective engineering team in there that will build innovation as part of the process. Yeah, fantastic points. Thank you so much, Josh. And Afshin, is there anything that you'd like to add in terms of ensuring your team's collaborative? Um, yeah, I guess that um, mainly the innovation comes from the BAU. Because when the people start taking care of the business as usual, then they will face the um, failure. When they, they fail, the then they then they face the timeline that how the business impacted and how the SLA should be fulfilled. I mean, or they, they should cover everything before the SLA completed. So, um, so encouraging them um, to uh, you know to taking and, and learning from those failure is an important. If the teams works only on the on initiatives and a project where the project comes by the all the detailed design and the solution comes by the solution architect and they're just following and the mapping comes from the tech BA and a business BA and innovation is a minimum minimum but when they are taking care of the BAU and face all these challenges where there is no architect there is no tech BA or business BA and there is a pressure coming all the time do it do it do it quick quick and quick then is that under that pressure they are learning from the failure then my 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 responsibility that to promoting the open uh, an open communication and collaborating uh to establish then channel and then you know communicate commun with the mm, constructive feedback and and make sure that i can help them directly and co correctly towards the people who are a knowledge champion or or an smes and how they can work together. And Josh says this nicely that not everybody in the teams are innovators, but how to train them to be means that establishing the 
uh, knowledge transfer and the um, you know uh, going towards a deep diving towards that um, the things um, I'm guess that by empowering and, and 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 trusting the employee that they can do the things and not to stop them to bring their ideas and work on their ideas even if it's a POC so um, those are the activities that I can ensure that the innovation cultures remains uh, um, positively alive. Thank you so much. And Nick? Yeah, um, for this question, I wanted to focus a bit more on the, the people side of it. Like for me, to be innovative, particularly over a long period of time, like you need to be vulnerable. And you can't do that if you don't trust your team members or you feel like you're going to be negatively penalized if your idea doesn't work out. Um, so I think first key of that, which um, everyone else has alluded to as well, is preventing that brilliant jerk stereotype where there is one person that is allowed to innovate and no one else can do the projects. Um, the uh, To prevent that sort of thing is giving explicit discovery projects to people, even if they are like a maybe an SE1 or an SE2, like that sort of junior or mid-level, saying, I want Bill to look into this thing, sharing that with the group and being like, if we can do this project, it's going to help in this way and, and giving people that confidence. Um, and then I think once everybody on the team can see that uh, maybe you as a manager or, or as a group, that everyone is able to equally share in some innovative projects, I think that removes some of the stress. People don't want to, or people don't feel like I need to jump at every opportunity because this might be the only one I get. When you show that, hey, this is something we do and you know, today, this person's doing it tomorrow. This person's doing it. I think people can open up a bit more and, and help each other a bit more. Perfect, perfect. Thanks so much for that insight, Nick. Josh, is there anything you'd like to add? Yeah, I'd, I'd just like to continue on what Ashton was talking about in regards to folding process or folding innovation into your process. I find that one of the main uh, complaints, I'll, I'll say I'll say complaints from, from engineers is they typically don't get opportunity to innovate or they don't get opportunity to address their concerns from an engineering standpoint. And most of the time, from my experience, it's because they sit back and are too passive in the process and actually defining what the work should be in the system. They're happy just to, to show up at a refinement session and look at the cards that are being provided and give their two cents and then into the sprint it goes. Where I find that they can address these concerns is by saying, well, are you going through the backlog and looking at the cards that are going to be coming up in the future? Do you understand what we're actually trying to achieve over the next several weeks? When you are doing that, when you're being proactive, you can find small incremental changes that you can add to these deliverables that people are talking about. It means they're low risk. It means that the mistakes are small. If you do get it wrong, they're low impact and they're easy to rectify. You can also target them to say that they can deliver value. Hey, we're going to be changing this screen. I know that the functionality behind this isn't really up to the state that we would like to have it at. While we're doing this work, we should change this code. It won't make a, a significant dent to the timeframes, but it will incrementally move the system in the way that you want to. So it, it's about enabling the engineering team to feel comfortable, like what Nick was talking about, that they can have that agency to, to spend their time understanding not only what they have to do right now, what, what's being put in front of them right now, 
but where the system needs to be in the future. And then to go to Ashton's state, it's, it's about making sure that you're staying in touch with people outside of the engineering team so that when you're building your solutions, you're not just thinking about the technology, but you're thinking about the product and, and what it needs to do. Perfect, Josh. Thank you so much for that input. Um, and again, this leads really well onto our next question, which, which is around how to keep your team engaged or to avoid burnout. Um, as you've all mentioned individually as well, um, the pressure on development teams and how do you consistently collaborate and keep them well informed of the project deliverables. So, Ashton, I'll, I'll direct this question towards yourself. So how do you keep your, your team engaged or avoid burnout? Um. Well, the first thing is that um, you need to set, if you want a team to um, continue to be an innovating team and being engaged, first you need to be an example for them. So you need to set up an exemplar. Uh, this means that you uh, have to make sure that you have a continuous, continuously educating yourself. So... Um, what I do, um, I'm setting up a one-on-one with my team, each and every team members, every week. So I have that every week. And it's not only that, how are you and what are you doing? Of course, one of the, my classic questions is, are you okay? Because of are you okay team, um, the week is coming. I mean, that's an important question, so are you okay? <laughs> but after yeah. part of that... I'm, I'm, I'm running a number of things to make sure that, because if you wanted to be an innovator, you need to be a pioneer. This means that you need to be brave. You need to be proactive. Josh said that you need to be proactive. You need to be frank and crystal clear that what is missing here and what you think. So to be frank that if I'm, I'm thinking about this means that you shouldn't afraid of to expose uh, expressing your feeling expressing your your thinking and and also you need to have a, a can-do attitude so these are these are the personal things including educating yourself in terms of the technology and in terms of the business so many of the data engineers or the, the, the technology engineers um they have a very good experience of technology but they lack of the experience of the business. So to me, to be a good innovator, you need to have both wings, a technology wings, a technical part. Then another one is that the business understanding wings. Then you can fly, fly over the cuckoo business. So, <laughs> yeah. So those are the things. I'm, I'm, I'm I'm, I will make sure that my teams are getting both uh, wings, of course, cannot be at the same time because we always, if you are right-handed, your right hand is more powerful than your left and vice versa, but it takes time if you can play guitar with both hands. So that's my <clears throat> responsibility to make sure that happens. It takes time, but I'm going to invest my time and my life uh, towards my team to make sure this is happening in a different steps and a period of time. Perfect, perfect. Afshin, thank you so much. And as you say, it's giving them the, their confidence and their voice to be able to express that as well. Thank you so much. So, Josh, what's your kind of take around um, how to keep the team engaged and avoid that burnout as well? 
So one of the things that I, I find that people consistently make mistakes on is by choosing new technologies or innovation. Uh, satisfaction comes through success. I, I, I can't comprehend why people enjoy using new technologies because they are awful to use. They never integrate with the way this system the way that you want it to. Trying to find any information if you've got any issues is is almost non-existent. So you tend to have significant issues when you're trying to innovate with new technologies and it can be frustrating and demoralizing for the team. Crucially, it doesn't matter how new or innovative the technology is. After it's been in your system for six months, 12 months, it's old technology and it's not innovating anymore. <laughs> so why gear your system to be based on trying to challenge yourself with the latest technologies when you can gear yourself to be just constantly incrementing your system with changes that you can manage and that you know will work and that you know you will succeed in? Because then you're still doing something new. You haven't used that system before or that technology. You're moving to something that you haven't touched before, but you're doing it in a way that's low risk and it's high reward. So the team can feel a lot of satisfaction out of that. We've all experienced projects where someone's decided to pick a new technology and it just dies on the line. You spend like six weeks, eight weeks, 12 weeks, plugging away at it, hammering away, trying to figure out what's happening, dealing with the stakeholders, asking what's happening. And you don't have any answers because you don't know. It's something in there that's not gelling with your system. And... On top of that, you have to deal with the repercussions. Is it you've lost all this time? Is it the fact that you've essentially bitten the hand that feeds you from a stakeholder standpoint in that they trusted that you could execute this and you've failed? And because of that, they're far less welcoming in your suggestions of doing something similar in the future. Or they make you keep the existing system. They say, well, we tried this, it failed. We probably shouldn't innovate right now. We'll just keep in current state and we'll get the features that we need done instead. So a lot of people lose out of doing these high-risk deliverables. It's about understanding that satisfaction, as I said, comes through succeeding. It's about making sure that your team feels like they're succeeding and framing your work in a way that they can succeed it is the way to do it. And and that's by walking the well-worn path. And it may not be exciting as, as a whole. Like you, you're not doing cutting edge, as Ashton said, like chat GPT integrations with OpenAI and, and dropping mid-journey to automatically generate fancy imagery. But that's not necessarily what's needed in your system. And even if you do build it, 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 it may be a grind where if you just choose, I'm just going to change our .NET system though currently on .NET 5, we're going to go to .NET 7, like that's a new version, that's interesting, it's tried and tested and we know what's going to happen. That's still essentially doing the same thing. You're still building something unfamiliar and you will succeed in that. And, and for me, that's the goal for keeping the team engaged is by letting them have those wins and, and you need to frame their expectations towards that and when you do, you will get a lot of involvement in the team. Yeah, fantastic points. Thank you so much, Josh. 
Um, Nick, is there anything that you'd like to add? Yeah. Um, so totally agree with what everyone said. Where keeping engagements is this active operation. You can't do it once and then say, okay, everyone's engaged now. The the default is that people would become disengaged uh, over time. Um, so I find the best way to, to keep that team engaged is to involve them in the process. Be like, we're trying to go in this direction. Can you help us get there? Um, people people in our industry are smart and like trust them to help you find the solution. Everyone's ambitious. They've got their own career goals. And <laughs> if you say, can you help me get to this this spot? A lot of people will help and they'll do a really good job with it. Um, the the success point is interesting as well. I, in my notes, I wrote, um, don't buy in 1000% where when people fully buy into a particularly a speculative project, we're going to integrate ChatGPT mid-journey into our accounting software and someone's fully bought into it and then that project gets binned because um, it's not necessary or whatever. That can be really tough for your engineering team. And so explaining, hey, we're going to do this. It's experimental. It might not work out, but we're going to try it um, and see where we land. And that can uh, help the team kind of manage that instead of you know, people dedicate two quarters to a project and then the business goes in a different direction and they feel like they've wasted all this time. Um, if they know it's experimental, they're sort of doing maybe incremental releases that can make, you um, still feel like they're making progress on their own projects. No, perfect, perfect. Thank you so much. Um, and the next question is more around tools and strategies. I know, Nick, you just touched on quite a few there, which is great. Um, but Ashim, what kind of strategies or tools have worked for you? On, I didn't get your question properly. Just got. That's okay. My apologies. So, what what kind of tools or strategies have worked for you? Yeah. Um, so I can say something uh, that when you celebrate a small success, um, and also when you um, show that your greeting. To that success to or to the to the group who are working as a team of course in the right time and the right moment it delivers a habit a positive habit to the team that whatever they do if there is an, a positive impact it can be seen and it's a valuable. So a tools is not only a, a technical tools that says that, yeah, I can use, I will use that um, Visual Studio. No, the tools is the, mainly is a software is a, because a human is a human brain and a human action is a software. And we are, we wanted to keep that culture inside among the people. So, it is important that the best tool is that being crystal clear, try to be cooperative, collaborative, empowering people by give the team members um, the autonomy and the ownership over their work, trust that they have the knowledge and the ability to contribute and innovate ideas um by encouraging them to take the initiatives and provide um a, a safe space for example for exploring and implementing a new concept 
uh, just an example that we are right now in our team, uh, we are using the um, uh, SSIS technology over the um, um, Azure cloud, um, cloud um, platform. But the idea came that if we use a native ADF instead of the SSIS, it would, it would be a more cost effective and easy, better way to deliver data in, into the enterprise data. And that was the just award, but encouraging the team now, of course, by my manager, Andy Clifton, and, but he encouraged the team. And now we've established that in proof of concept, it's been complete and we proved it that it's worked fine. And now the teams are building it into, of course, the other teams are, are doing that. An excellent idea came into the reality and now we are going to enjoy that. So that those are the things. Give that that certainty. Give that um, assurance. That go 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 for it, and then support them. Give them a facility facility to educate themselves, and and always, of course, track and make sure that they are not feeling aside. Ask them that if you need more support, if you need more time, if you need, and of course monitor to make sure that everything is happening so those are the tools that we are right now using i'm using it and i'm happy that we have done some good examples in among the team and among the pod as well yeah perfect Afshin. thank you so much for that insight i know you mentioned previously as well that you have an open forum with each of your employees as well so you have the one-to-one -one feature which is a really it's a really good personal approach as well um, to innovation. So, Josh, what are your kind of uh, tools and strategies that have worked for you? Yeah, it's it's a fairly simple answer, which is to say that I, I lean on numbers because numbers don't lie. And as I've mentioned earlier, understanding what your metrics for success are uh, can can be crucial in ensuring that your innovation is supported within the business. And when you can bring up numbers and say, this is where they were, this is where they are now, it's going in the right direction. You, you get a lot of leverage to, to not only continue your innovation, but people will give you a leeway to innovate further in the future. Uh, the numbers that I, I'm focusing on at the moment are, are primarily based around the DevOps metrics that we've been released in uh, some wonderful books that you can find by Gene Kim and Nicole Forskin and Jez Humble. So that they've written this amazing book, uh, Accelerate, which talks to uh, these numbers and how they can positively impact your business. And it's about measuring things like lead time. Like when your, your engineering team pick up a card and start working on it to when it gets deployed, how long does that take? And how do you get that number down? It's about understanding the constraints in your system. Like one of the things that I speak to my team about is understanding the theory of constraints. That in a system, there's always one narrow point, one, one point where everything goes a little bit slower than everywhere else. And if you don't work at that point to address that constraint, your work is largely going to go unrealized. Because if you're building improvements before that constraint, it just increases the amount of work that will hit the bottleneck and then slow down. If you're building after the constraint, then it will never get realized because you don't get the throughput you need. 
So how that your changes that you're making are doing what's needed. And that's where you use, uh, for those that use Jira, there's the control chart that can pull up these numbers for you. There's also the mean time for resolution. There's uh, num numbers based around how long it takes you to resolve an issue, which again is, is crucial to understanding if you're innovating in the right direction. Because innovation could not necessarily just be building something new technology-wise for enabling new functionality, but enabling your team to be more performant. And how do you measure that? How do you know that you're doing the right thing? And that's where understanding these numbers and building the processes in to measure them and address them. Refinement sessions, doing those iteratively rather than just single sessions where you can ensure that your team is working as efficiently and effectively as possible in small deliverables so that you can measure this can be very high return investment. Perfect, Josh. Thank you so much for that insight. Um, and Nick, is there anything that you'd like to add in terms of what tools or strategies have worked for yourself? Sure. Um, so strategies for me, I think one of the key ones is just having a backlog where you can dump your sort of big brain innovative projects where you it may just be the title of the ticket. You're like, I think something in this area um, or it may be a really developed spec. Um, and just having that spot where you can refer back to them. It's so easy to have an idea you know, one day you're having a meeting and it's going really well, you have a great idea and then you just forget about it in three months when it would have actually been useful just start working on it. Um, so constantly taking stock of those tickets, delete the unnecessary ones. If you've moved past one, get rid of it and then bring in the relevant ones to your sprints um, and try to figure out how you can break them down to those smaller pieces of feature work. Um, another key way is just asking people to document constantly. Um, really build that asynchronous way of working into your team where... Uh, okay, I'm building a new system. I'm going to document it first. I'm going to have everything written out. And that will mean, I guess, in two ways. One is when you try to innovate, you try to do this new project, you've actually got a reference point and you can start somewhere. Um, and two, you may not need a large innovation project because your system's documented. You can do small incremental changes and you don't sort of fall behind where you have to do big uplift, um, you know, three years from now. And lastly, for me is, Keeping a decision log, this can be something that maybe you do for a team or the company and then something you do for yourself as well. So when you make a decision like we're going to upgrade, uh, Josh said before, we're going to upgrade from .NET 5 to 7. These are the reasons why. Uh, have a sort of this is what I expect the outcome to be. And then have a, a reference date in the future. It could be three months. It could be two weeks. It could be two years. And go back to that decision and be like, did it work out how I thought it would? Did we make the right call here? And then that'll help you make better decisions over time because once you do this for multiple projects, you'll see the errors uh, where, you, where you're misjudging things or maybe the team really predicted something would have a massive uplift and you didn't change anything at all. Um, and documenting that, reviewing it again, that can really mean that you, uh, you're able to keep up to date on, on what you've done. Um, so those are, those are my strategies. Yeah, perfect, perfect. And then I'd just like to revisit as well some points that Josh made around um, how you measured in innovation um, around that data-driven piece as well. Um, and it links back to yourself, Nick, in terms of the points you've just made as well. So I'm keen just to dive a bit deeper into how to measure innovation like within the business um, overall. So uh, Ashin, what's, what kind of ways do you measure your innovation within your teams? 
Yeah. Um, as I said, because uh, we are in a, working in a company that they already <clears throat> set up a certain steps to um, encourage the people to be innovative. Um, and every quarter, every three months, um, we have three days, sometimes four days uh, time to work on the, on the ideas. Uh, we have a big pool of those uh, ideas and business are coming and other teams are coming and, and waiting the your idea if that idea is good, is it needed or is not. So it's some kind of that's um, already being established as a culture being established in, in, in that uh, in, in my company, which is an excellent thing because every three months, business and, and, and technology are collaborating together to see that what is the um, what can do what they can do to deliver a new flavor and a new recipe a part of all these reg reportings and and apprise and regulations and normal day to day into the business who can at the end of the day who can support um, um, our client so one myself my um, believe that when the things are getting better and easier than developers or a business instead that they put their time and energy to do the work then they have a time and time to think how to improve the work so this is helping a lot therefore um those are being already established and almost as a manager I'm just a facilitator. So the manager doesn't mean that dev managers doesn't mean to be a boss. It means that you are a facilitator to make sure that you give the correct platform and the technology and the tools to your team. And you have another means of measuring to make sure that your teams are working in a right and a correct pathway. So either is it a, is it a day-to-day technology uh, task or is it an innovation task. So of course, not all the managers are the leaders. Probably in some team, a team member could be a leader, but in particular, the manager only the manager is the facilitator to make sure that everything works towards the uh, team and the goal, which is driven by the business and the society. So um, I'm a lucky person because 50% of the job is being done by the by the culture of the of my company. <laughs> they are already doing most of the things, and I guess that what they do is helping us to make sure that we have all the tools that we need. One of the tools that we already enjoying and using is that our dedicated agile coach team that they run free of charge ad hoc and on demand any kind of the training that we need uh, to have uh, and um, that also helps the team to think differently instead of thinking of day-to-day thinking out of the box Thank you so much for that deep dive. I love the idea that the teams have time separated to really collaborate together and bounce ideas off each other that can really drive and keep everybody engaged as well. Um, Josh, 
In terms of like measuring innovation, I know you've just touched on around how data-driven it is, but what kind of measures are you taking in the business to kind of drive that innovation forward? Yeah, I, I, I actually like to give arbitrary metrics that I, I think the team should try and achieve. Like I, I say, what's preventing us from giving you a ticket right now, you making the code change and having it deployed in an hour? And if I asked you to do that, 20 times in a row, what is the constraint in the system that's preventing that? Can you point to something in the in the system that is pre, that is limiting our ability to achieve these sorts of goals? Because they can be done, right? There, there's entire multi-corporate, multicultural corporations that exist that uh, can achieve these numbers, thousands of deployments a day. So I say, well, they can do it. Why can't we? How can we identify where the constraints are? What's limiting us from being able to achieve that? And then innovate in the direction that we need to make sure that we're moving in that direction. There's a, a common sort of thought process that I get my team to go through, which is to, to draw from the start of writing code all the way through to deployment in a, in a flow diagram, what the process is. What happens in there? I write this code, then I do a commit, then there's a pull request. And I tell them they're never allowed to add any new boxes in any process. Whenever there's something happening, I say you're only allowed to remove something from this flow. And, and that's a, a tool that I use to highlight my point that very often teams will lean on adding new process into to solving a problem. But that can be a constraint or something that you need to manage, or something that you need to educate someone on, or it's something that is just a lazy way to, to address a problem, which is to say, well, surely there's something out there in the system ecosystem that has already addressed this problem. How can we unify these two processes that we've got at the moment? How do we remove this current system that we have that isn't really necessary, but it's just part of the legacy. So it's about looking at the system holistically and then going in further and further till you get to a very small deliverable that you can slice out of that process. And when you are achieving those sorts of goals, then you can lean back to things like the control chart, your lead time or your mean time to resolution. And you can say, we removed this or we changed this and the numbers went down, which is what you want. Yeah, perfect, perfect. Now you say it's continuous improvement as well. And how can you effectively, I suppose, communicate that with a wider team um, so that the deliverables are managed effectively? Um, Nick, what's your kind of take around measuring innovation? So I, I really like Josh's point around like not adding more process. Um, I think generally like these big long convoluted processes are because someone's made an error at some point and the first response is we're going to add another check you've got to get sign off from this guy before you can even move your application forward um, and i think taking stock of whether that error would actually happen again and if it's unavoidable like can we just fix whatever causes it if it's like you deployed one service before the other and it caused a, a crash can we just like not allow that to happen or make the second one always go before the first one. My teams is sentiment, roadmap progress, and our KRs. Um, 
and then soft mapping either in my mind or via like a formalized team sentiment process when a project's blocked and could we have done something about that before yeah so someone gets up to a spot and they go oh i can't do this thing because of, of this error like what's the problem and did we know about this two weeks ago a month ago a year ago why haven't we done something about it uh and then using those blockers as sort of your your motivations for starting to innovate um and then the the team sentiment of roadmap progress i think if these are improving the team is happy they're doing work and they feel like they're progressing things and then your roadmap is also going in the right direction i think now you've got a really happy team that's that's doing productive work and that's the direction we all want to go in Fantastic. thank you so much and josh is there anything else you'd like to add yeah i, I just like to highlight nick's amazing insight that uh that the immediate response to any failure is to have bureaucracy there's an amazing book I'm reading <laughs> by this gentleman named Mark Schwartz, and he, he's a very, very talented CIO. And he talks in his book, The Art of Bureaucracy, about how when system failures occur, it's almost an immediate response that anyone would do, where it's like, how do we put something in to prevent this from occurring again? And it will be some arbitrary process. And it's one of the challenges that I, I focus with my team on is to say, when we're establishing a process, what is the reason for this? Why did this occur? And and is is adding a gate in actually necessary? If I ask them, what's the purpose of a pull request? Or what's the purpose of a code review? Why do we do uh, desk checks before we finish our, our code? There's some sort of response that's occurred to a problem that has occurred in the past. Something's happened and then someone said, well, to prevent that from happening, we should put this in. But that's just additional bureaucracy that can be a constraint on your system. It can be a needless limitation. I can't get my work out because I need to wait for Jenny to come over here and review my code and she's currently in a meeting, so work stops. Instead, what we can do is we can identify, can we innovate that problem away? What systems can we in place to make sure that we don't have this failure? So someone putting in bad code or not sticking to, to the system norms, but also successfully driving the system forward. What automated processes can we introduce? What gates can we remove by putting in a, a system that we know will work and will achieve the same goal as a, this manual process that someone's advocating? Yeah, perfect, Josh. Thank you so much for that. Um, and as as I just like to conclude uh, before we end the podcast, I'd just like to say thank you so much for all of our guests for sharing all their thoughts in today's conversation. Once again, our guests have been Josh from Concentrix Catalyst, Afshin from Tal, and Nick from Alderman Hayden. So if you're hiring for technical roles or looking for a new role, feel free to get in touch with us here at Evolution. Or if you know anybody who would like to be featured on the podcast, you can drop me a message too. My name's Abby and I'm a software engineer and recruitment consultant working with Aust uh, Evolution Australia. We hope you can join us next time. Thank you.